that's the start. Any, any, any prayer requests tonight? Any prayer requests? Say, Joe, what's going on? Can I ask? She died. She died? Joe? Yeah. It was Maddie Joe, actually. Who's Joe? Very, very good friend of the family. One of them was kind of the second set of parents. And she finally passed away in last last Friday. Funeral was last Tuesday. How old was she? 86. Had a great life. Had she been ill for a while? Yeah. She was extremely frail. She was always, I mean, super thin. Just that was the way she was, and it, her bones got frail where the weight of her body would break, and, and it, it was it was it was time for her. She had a great life, and jeez, uh, uh, but it was one of those when I, I remember being so tall, walking over to their house because they lived next door to my parents, and I'd break out of my house and go to the story goes, you break out here. One of my oldest friends' husband, Harry, he's been on dialysis and he's not doing well at all. For a friend of ours, Mary McGill, he has Alzheimer's. She. Not good. Her brother, her her husband, Jim McGill, works at UD. Does he? Yeah. Yeah. Anybody else? Okay. Um, I, I wasn't planning on working this into the prayer, but I'd like everybody to know what's going on in case I do. But even if I don't, I'd like you to know the context for this. God, the uh, um, the reading this morning um, in the first reading, um, the focus was on wisdom. The, the Lord's recognition of what a wonderful gift it was <clears throat> kept referring it to as a she traditionally wisdom has always been feminine I, I personally believe that I think I've spoken to it before um, one of the reasons I believe that uh, one of the reasons wisdom was associated with Athena in the ancient world and by the way Athena was dual in her power she was a warrior and a weaver she was the only god that had that kind of dual function. Born out of Zeus's head, she wasn't like the other gods. I think wisdom is feminine in this sense. This is me, you can differ, but... Because the world is given to power, and feminine things tend to be vulnerable to power. You know that wisdom is not what's chosen by, sadly, not enough people. It's, it's cast aside. When Lady Philosophy comes to Boethius in, in the Constellation, which we're going to do after this, she's t in tatters, worn. You know, it's just, uh, anyway, the, in, the, in the first reading, the focus was on wisdom. In the second, it was um, the man coming, bringing his son, who had been possessed by devils since childhood, and asking Christ to heal him because he'd heard about Christ's powers. And the, he took him initially to the disciples, and the disciples couldn't help. And they had been successful, I guess, in some instances, we wouldn't have done it. Brings him to Christ. <laughs> I, love the, I love the exchange. Um, 
I'm sorry I didn't bring the Magnificat, but he asked Christ, um, he says, heal him <laughs> if you can. It's, <laughs> Suzanne and I were talking about this on the way home. Um, I don't think she saw it quite the way I did, but <laughs> my comment to her was, that's as close to sarcasm as I hear Christ in the whole of the gospel. Because his response is, if I heal him, <laughs> as if as if the, he didn't know, he wasn't quite sure. So Christ is expressing a, a disbelief or a wonder that somebody's wondering about this because it's it's clear by what he's done, you know, that he has the power. He's gone. He's gone. But even the, I mean, it's no surprise because we know even the disciples didn't believe it. He just he just came out of the five thousand loaves and performed this amazing miracle, and and this, the disciples are going. Give us a sign. <laughs> God. Anyway, I love Christ's response. He says, if I can heal him, God. I'm, I'm sure that there was more gravity to his voice than there is in mine right now. And the man says, Christ is um, speaking to the importance of faith. And the man's response was, um, I, I do believe. Help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. Such an important prayer. Um, help my unbelief. So Christ's response is more than what it usually is because he knows he's... Father's homily, over and over and over again, he kept saying how important faith was. It was the condition for healing. You know the passage where he says, a prophet's not welcome and is you know, not understood. He couldn't perform miracles there because they didn't have faith. Faith is the condition. If you have faith, he says that as a mustard seed. You, you can do anything. Believe. So that when the man says, help my unbelief, that's a desperate, a honest acknowledgement of, of a weakness. Christ heals him. You know. Anyway, so everybody could keep that in mind tonight in our prayer that um, that's what's asked of all of us in our faith. That if we believe, that I just... Um, he, there's nothing he won't do if our belief is, if, if it's genuine. So, in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, thank you again, Lord, for the gift of our life from you, the gift of yourself this morning in the Mass, your words to us. Oh, God, what a great teaching that goes on in all that you did to bring yourself and um, make all the efforts that you did to help us to understand with our reason powers of reason, how important faith was. They, they are so perfectly fused in you. You asked us to follow you. Let that be so for us. Help our powers of reason. Um, open up faith, um, which goes so far beyond it. Um, fide ratio. Um, grace perfects nature. Let that be so for all of us, particularly in the work that we're doing together. Ask a special blessing on Joe. Um, let everybody who feels that they've lost her now be grateful, glad for the. Sounds like she had a good life. To take a joy knowing that she's in a better place. That everything she lived for will now come come true. Um, console those and let them know that. Let them be assured she's enjoying good hands. There are sins still to be purged, um, that our prayers help her, um, speed her to you, so that she can be in your presence. 
Um, is, is, sorry, Harry? Harry. Um, be with Harry and his treatment. Um, difficult for um, these treatments. They ask a lot of us and take a lot of us, take a lot out of us. Be with him, strengthen in him a power of endurance. Um, let it be so for Bev as well, um, anybody undergoing treatment. Um, most importantly, um, help his heart to find a peace in what's going on, um, to grow in his faith in you as he becomes more and more aware of the weaknesses that he's susceptible to. Be with him in all of that. Is it the, sorry, Millie? Mary. Mary. Mary McGill. I'm sorry, say Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's, yeah. Be with Mary McGill. Um, um, how difficult. In some sense, she's spared because there's so much she doesn't know. It's her family and friends that need prayers. Um, they will have a tough time losing her um, while she's still here. And it seems to me Alzheimer's always asks us to put on a role to not let what people say not take it too seriously because they can say awful things. Um, give those who care for her um, that ability to detach themselves, to step back, um, to put themselves away so that they can offer her the care that she needs. Um, um, be with all of them. I ask a special blessing on all that we're doing here. Um, this time in purgatory is really important. It, it's a time in which everybody is in, in the fact that they've offered themselves. They're receiving new eyes. They're learning to see differently as a condition for loving. Let it be so for us. Help our eyes to be opened, our hearts to be opened, to give ourselves more fully to all that you ask. We offer these prayers in your name, Christ our Lord. Amen. Okay. Um, I want to get to the text as quickly as I can because I want to get we've spent a lot of time out of the text the last couple of weeks but I think it was really an important time but just a brief overview remember an anti-purgatory I, um, I think I asked the question didn't I what's the, what's the principle behind that relationship of all the people in purgatory didn't I ask that you know, Casella first coming and then Sordello and Balacqua and Bioconte and the others going to the prince. Didn't I ask what that relationship, the principle was? <laughs> sure I did. <laughs> quiz, quiz time for sure. Um, I'm not sure I understand your question. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Does, I'm not sure you don't want to those. Does anybody have <laughs> anybody worry about you teaching them? What's behind the I'm going to say it, David. Remember that... Um, um, Sordello was excommunicated, and and all of the individuals we encountered after him were late penitents. Remember they they put off pen they put off they put off penance until the end of their lives. Balakwa was where he was. Remember he was so languid, couldn't hold his head up. His his head was on his elbow and looking indifferent and uncaring and languid um, and then the others were more energetic but they themselves had put off remember Buell Conti put it off until the very end he, his very last breath was spent saying Mary and he was saved the principle that Dante's showing us 
is has to do with human responsibility and and the fact that humans cannot attain the freedom that is their end without taking responsibility for their lives and doing all they can to work with God because our ultimate end is with him so the farther away they were from starting purgatory remember St. Peter's gate is beyond them the farther away they were the more it was an indication that they didn't take responsibility the closer they were the closer they were to taking responsibility for their own lives the princes at the end were there because they were preoccupied so clearly they were good people they were just preoccupied serving I mean in the best sense for Dante so the principle at issue there in anti-purgatory goes right to the heart of human responsibility we are I mean we're encouraged to believe in our world that we're responsible for ourselves alone that's it um, what um, what Dante's making clear is how absurd that is we'll I'll get to that more more directly in a minute and I'll elaborate on it but the only reason for purgatory is it's it's that what to call it that activity that we undertake with God to make ourselves better we know from the beginning we can't do that on our own we can't remember Dante tried to go to so what he's showing us there is his understanding the church's understanding of human responsibility is very different from the kind of understanding we're given in the modern world we can't we cannot <laughs> be fully responsible for our final end which is to be with God without him so penance means beginning to take responsibility for our wrongs and turning to him for help and we're that's where we're going to go tonight I mean we're going to start we'll enter St. Peter's we we did last week cut Uh, we did last week but today we're going to look more closely at it so anti-purgatory um has several functions one it's to make clear I think one of the most important things is excommunication doesn't mean you're damned okay remember Sordell is excommunicated he's not damned he just can't start penance and every one of the other souls that we encounter there put off starting penance so they're 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 spared hell none of those none of those souls will ever see hell Dante makes that clear but they have to they have to suffer a penance for not beginning earlier that's part of their penance okay the people in St. Peter's Gate of Purgatory um, are there because they want to actively change okay and that's what they're doing at Purgatory so so after Purgatory was a, a way of um, beginning to make clear how important human responsibility is for attaining the freedom that is our final end. Dante's going to make clear everywhere through purgatory. The world offers freedom. Presumably. That's the posture that it takes. What Dante shows you is, shows us is once we, once we, um, once we slip into those temptations thinking that we'll be free if we can do whatever the world says today feel free to make up yourself whatever you want you're your own boss do whatever you want you're free to do anything Dante would say that's an illusion I think I think all of us know because once we turn to the world it's 
drugs, sex, food. I mean, the last thing we can say about ourselves is that we're free. Political power? I mean, whatever illusion, whatever glamour, this is the, you know, when we, when we renew our baptismal vows, I reject the glamour of the... Um, that whatever the world offers it is ultimately going to lead to an addiction. Food, sex, drug, I mean, that, that, we, that we, we lose our power to say no to it. To whatever degree we keep wanting it, we become weaker and weaker. So the last thing we can say about ourselves is we're free. The only freedom that we know of will come when we're freed of our sins and with God. That's what we saw in hell. Nobody's free. Absolutely free. Nobody. They're all trapped in machine-like. They, they become almost inhuman, machine-like. So in, in purgatory, people are winning their freedom. Okay? So that's one of the things that we saw in Andy Purgatory. I've spent a couple of weeks now going over the notion of the Trinity, um, and I began by, um, by pointing out that the easiest thing to do is to treat the t Trinity as a mechanical thing. It's in the rhyme scheme, it's in, the, it's in each one of the canticles. Remember, Inferno, Purgatorio, Paradiso, all are divided into threes. And the Terzarima rhyme scheme, the rhyme scheme itself. Everywhere in the poem, um, we see signs of the Trinity. It structures the poem. That's not an accident, and it's not a mere technicality. Dante's not just showing off. Um, the Trinity is everywhere because Dante believes it's everywhere. It informs our whole being. And I, I remember we, I covered the two basic ways, that, or the two, I think, probably the two most important in our tradition. One was by St. Thomas, who said, we're all made in the image of God. We are, we know, and we love. Right? Every one of us has been, we are, and we know that that's true because he, he, when somebody's in a coma, he may lose his powers of knowledge, and he may lose his powers of loving, but he still is. He exists. <laughs> um, so, St. Thomas makes clear that um, that procession of faculties, those qualities that every human being has, match up perfectly with the Trinity. God is. Remember in the Old Testament he says, I am that am, he is. He knows, he loves. If we're made in his image, it's no surprise that we have those same qualities. Last week I introduced St. Augustine's for a really important reason, because it opens up an aspect of the purgatorio that, that we wouldn't see without it. Remember St. Augustine had more than um, more than 20 understanding and will. St. Augustine had more than 20 traces of the Trinity. The, the, the dominant one for him was memory, understanding, and will. And last week I, I tried to um, open up because it's so easy once you hear the if you hear these things in catechism they you know you can think of them mechanically and miss the the depth of impl implications to them remember memory for saint augustine for all of us memory is that power um, to which we turn when we've lost something 
we try to go back in our memory to recover where I put my keys the last time I had them, or, you know, um, what were the words, what were the words that I spoke to my wife the, the night before we were married, or whatever it is, you know. Memory, memory is that in which all things exist, they're there, but we've lost them. They're all there, they're all there. Jung, the psychologist, would have said, the collective unconscious, they're all there, they're all there. Where do they go? They didn't disappear, they exist somewhere, they're there. So memory is that faculty that we turn to when we want to go back and find them, to hold on to them again. Nostalgia, going home, to go back to find where we were. Um, understanding is like knowing, it's to understand what's there. And the will is the movement of the being to go out to it. So each one of those aspects is an aspect of God. All things exist, there's no memory in God, because there is no past or future. They're all there. But there is for us because we were once with him. Okay? So memory is, is that in which everything is contained for God and for us. Understanding is knowing it. Um, grasping it, making it one with our being, willingness to is to go out and love to it. So each one of us um, has a trinit trinitarian structure to our very consciousness. It's a part of who we are. One of the one of the reasons that I think this trace is so <laughs> is so it important. Is mine. <laughs> what? Alice yeah. is not tight, and that's what. Anyway. Um, one of the reasons it's so important is because it opens up this aspect of um, the the journey of purgatory. Um, and wait, before we get there, remember last week um, I tried to give a very brief review of um, mimosine, the power of memory in the Greek world. Remember, mm -hmm. in every ancient epic. The poet begins, Homer, Virgil, by an appeal to Calliope. She's one of the nine muses, and she's one of nine. She's the product of Zeus and Mimosine. Maybe. And Zeus was the father of the gods, remember. So for the ancient Greeks, Mimosine was not a mechanical, it's not, it's not a Skinnerian, it's not just this biological mechanical thing. Mimosine is like a cosmic memory, it's all there. The whole, the whole entire mythic past was understood to be contained in her. And it's feminine, interestingly. And when she, when she and Zeus mated, they gave birth to the nine muses. And I asked the question, nine's a multiple of? Three. Three. So implicitly, they have this amazing intuitive sense of the truth. It was all there. It was all there in the ancient poets. Um, each one of the poets invoked Calliope, one of the nine muses, to tell this story. Because since the story had to do with divine things, they needed divine help. If you, those of you who have been doing this since we started, you know that, that in the Iliad or the Odyssey, the Aeneid, we enter into a story in which the gods are deeply involved, particularly with the heroes, the good men. 
And every one of the epics has to do with a people laboring under some disorder, some fault of which they're not very aware, and the hero bearing a burden that helps bring them out from under those disorders and introduces a new spirit, a new way of thinking, a new way of looking. That's the nature of that ancient epic. I mean, I can't look at that and think, holy cow, if that doesn't, if that's not a prelude, a, um, a, what's the word, a, like a foretaste of Christ, I don't know what they are. So, one of the values of holding on to St. Augustine's notion of the Trinity is that it reminds us that we all, all, all of us, every single one of us carries deeply, deep, deep in our consciousness, some memory of Eden. The completeness we all had, that's not lost. It's there. The trouble with us is, is because we're so self-sufficient. This is part, this is at the heart of the purgatorial. We're so self-sufficient, we don't think we need God. We're so, self we're so self-sufficient, we're so capable, we think we can get on without Him. So in one sense, we live our daily lives forgetting that we've forgotten, that we once had this completeness. And I think all of us know that there's something wrong with the way we live our daily lives because in a sense, it's like we push and work hard so we don't have to remember because remembering is painful. We had this once, we've lost it. So, in one sense, purgatory is the effort to recover that wholeness that we once had. Otherwise, why go there? And, and what's, the, what's at the top of purgatory? Eden. It's there. It's been there. It is there. The whole effort of purgatory is to recover that wholeness, that completeness, the joy, the peace that we all had as humans once. Those of you who did T.S. Eliot's, you know, when we did the quartets, remember, Bert, the opening quartet, Bert Norton, goes back to the garden. The birds, the children, if you remember that poem. That's an image of Eden. That's an Eliot. Um, um, Jung, this collective unconscious, that we have this longing to return to the garden. The peace of the way. What's suburbia? I mean, it's an irony. We, it's our attempt to get back to the garden, and the silliness about it is we think if we go there, we're going to escape sins. Two weeks after we get there, what do we see again? There they are. Um, so, um, the Trinity informs this entire um, work, and it's especially present in the Purgatorio. One last thing. Remember, I gave you that quote from St. Thomas where he said, God, the Father, is not more or less than the whole Trinity itself. Um, and I want to go over that because it has to do with this notion of wholeness. And I, so hold on to this. I mean, I know this is a little bit heady. Remember, for us, we, we tend to compartmental, compartmentalize God. We tend to look at God in terms of boxes and constructs, that we, in, in terms of material realities for us. So when we think of numbers, we think of them in earthly terms, one, two, three. For us, one is less than two and three combined. Just as two and three combined are more than one, right? Mm -hmm. So if you take three numbers, you have to say one is less than and two and three are more than. But if you take the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God is not more or less than the whole of the Trinity itself. He is not less than the Son and the Spirit combined. 
because they're all one. Now hold on to that for a second. Everybody's got that, yeah, because we've gone over this, right? If we think in earthly terms, we won't get it, which is what too often we do. The Father's not more or less, neither is the Son. He's not less than the Father. He, he's called the Son, not because he's less. He's called the Son because he's begotten. That describes a relationship, not an inferiority. They're all one God. Okay, That's so important to get. Why is this important? Well, okay, you've all got that, right? So, if we took St. Augustine's, no, or St. Thomas's, being, no, being, knowing, love, the being of God is not less or more than the knowing or loving, because he is all being. The knowing of God is not less than being or more than being in love. Same thing with love. Love is not less than the being and knowing, because God is all of those in one. He's all knowing. He's all being. He's all loving. There are no parts in God as, as there are for us when we think about numerical relationships. Okay? Why is that important for this? If we're made in the image of God, and there is this wholeness that I'm describing, then the wholeness that we were intended to recover is that same wholeness. So, when we recover that wholeness, we won't see another human being as a part or less than, we will behold a wholeness in itself. When Beatrice and Dante get to the Empyrean, they're going to be one with each other. They will indwell with each other. So what the ten, our tendency to see things in terms of parts, she's less than me, she's more than me, or he's got more money than I do, I'm not as good as he is, that's gone. That dichotomy is gone. To return to Eden, to be one with God, will be to recover that kind of wholeness that we lost. When we lost the fall, it affected the way we see and think and feel. So the whole journey of purgatory is to recover that wholeness. So every at every level, at every level, every act of penance that a person performs, every act of humility, every act of contrition, strips away a bl blindness. Are they blind? No. They all think, in earthly terms, every one of them thinks, I see fine. My eyes are open. You're all following. The trouble is we don't. And I'm, I'm trusting everybody knows this. The, the older you get, the more, <laughs> I think I'm speaking for everybody, the older we get, the more, the humbler we get. Isn't it easier to see with a quality of love that we didn't have 20 years earlier? I'm hoping I'm speaking for all of us here. So, as the souls move up purgatory, at every level, it's as if a blindness is being stripped away with every act of humility, with every penance they, they undertake, they're recovering that wholeness they once had and have lost. So this is not just a mechanical journey. It's, it's a journey of recovering a wholeness that man once had and hopes to have again. Okay? So, um, the Trinity is not a mechanical structural principle. It informs the very being of everything that Dante does. That's his Catholic faith. The reason it's there is because it's, <coughs> it's a, what's at the heart of everything? If we're going to return to God, <laughs> if we're going to return to God, are we returning to 
the single God of the Jews? Or Allah of the Islams, the Muslims? No, we're returning to a trinity of persons. It, it radically changes the way we understand ourselves, our relationship with each other. We do not exist in isolation. We are communal by nature. We were loved and asked to love. So our relationship be to love and be loved. That should define our lives. With all that that means of the cross in our world. Because it means dying to ourselves if we're going to have any chance of recovering this wholeness that we once had. So the Trinity is not a mechanical thing. It, 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 it gives us a, a different sense of depth to who we are, the way we feel, the way we see. If we don't recover something of that, then we're lost in this world. We think we've got eyes, and in some ways we don't see. So when, you know, when we hear the readings when Christ is healing the blind, I, I think they're literally blind. But I also think in some of those instances we're meant to believe that when he heals them, when he heals them, they cannot be the same people because they won't just see with their eyes, they will be seen with a renewed faith. The way they look at the world will, will, will just be trees and cars and they will carry something in them from the healing that will change the way they view the world. That's a very old prayer. That is, Lord, take the blindness from my eyes so that I can see my weakness. Yeah. That's there for a reason. Okay, so... Uh, what we're going to see when we look at purgatory is that it, 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 at every level people are learning to see in different ways. And one of the reasons this is so important is because Dante believed following St. Augustine, or I mean St. Thomas, not Augustine. St. Augustine was a Platonist and there were some difficulties to the work that he did. Mm -hmm. Thomas was not. He, he, he followed Aristotle and it, it, it makes for a difference in the way they see things. For St. Thomas he would have said, see or understanding is a precondition of love. You can't love what you don't know. It's important for us to recover our sight because until we do, we won't be able to love the way we should. If we learn to see with, with good powers of reason, try to imagine this unfolding without Virgil explaining everything. Try to imagine Pur Pur Paradiso without Beatrice using reason. The reason is absolutely active at every stage of this journey. Absolutely. Be be why is it important? Because the ultimate source of reason is God. So it's really important for Dante, I mean the way he presents things, to learn how to see because until we see correctly there will be something wrong with the way we love. So the whole purgatory is recovering our being, our powers of knowing, the way we know, our powers of loving, the way we love. Ultimately, they were meant to be one, not divided, not parts, one. Okay, now let me, yeah, more. Question about the text. Sorry? Question about the text, then. Yeah. To your last point about Dante being able to see better so that he can understand who uses or whatever is mm -hmm. going to bring to that. We saw in Inferno that he lost his pity. You know, how he well, measured it, controlled it, or yeah. didn't so, lose so, it. So, 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 how I don't see a difference than how he sees, except by what he sees, how he sees differently in Purgatorio. Well, he's learning. I'm not 
quite sure what you're quite, he's learning to see differently. That's the whole purpose of the journey. Well, I see him seeing things that are different, but I don't see him learning to see differently. Well, wait, let's go through it. Because so you're getting I, I haven't seen that. Yeah. Because I, I could have missed it. There's the very... Well, let's wait, because I mean, because that's where we're going to, we're going to start looking at that now to see what he is seeing and what he's learning. Obviously, what he learned in hell is to see sin more clearly, you know, what, what the nature of sin is. And remember, remember the principle of hell is, enter here all those who have lost the good of the intellect. They, they don't see. They don't even know that they don't see. That's what we saw again and again and again. That's one of the things he saw. We've got purgatory ahead of What we've learned about this is what Dante has seen. I don't know how well he understands it at this point, but Dante the Pilgrim has just seen these souls in anti-purgatory. What he's showing us as a poet is um, this principle that I, you know, that they are where they are. Remember, here's the point. I mean, here, here's a good illustration. This is a good illustration. I've said this before. The poets present life as it appears to us. We could go up purgatory. We could have we could have looked at every one of the scenes: Casella, Sordello, Balacqua, Bucante, the princes, and miss the miss the whole because we get so caught up in the details of a scene that we don't see how it fits in with a sequence. We don't see the action. What's the action in anti-purgatory? He's showing us that there's a relationship to God. That souls are where they are because they either seriously took responsibility for doing what they should have to be with God or put it off. And we learn that if we look at the whole. If we don't, we don't see it. Right? All we see is Balacqua, what happens to him? Tordello, what happens to him? We can get so caught up in an episode that we lose a sense of depth or a whole that informs those things. Now how much, how much does Zante the Pilgrim see at that point? I don't know. But remember there's two Dantes. There's Dante the Pilgrim, so that's who we're experiencing. There's Dante the Poet who came back to reveal these things to us. And what we see in the poetry is, in anti-purgatory, is this clear principle. Okay? What he's going to go on to learn, we have to wait and see. Well, to his point, I would say maybe you're right. He's seen things, but maybe because of what he's learned, his ability to internalize them, to form the whole, is different. But he has seen each different thing. Yeah. But it's what's within him that's changed to see them more than what they are. And wait, and let, let's go on. But to that point, and to just ask everybody to, to be patient, what we know abstractly is, um, or maybe we can assume, I don't know, let's wait and see. What we know is Dante's learning, as you put it, at each level of hell, he was learning to see differences between... I mean, he was learning a lot. How much he understood then? You know, because he's going through it. But remember, the Dante who's written it has gone through it all, so he has a sense of a whole that he didn't have when he was going through it as a pilgrim. The whole is... When he's done, it's all there. It's going to change the way he looks at what happened when he was undergoing it, just as for us. But I hope, I mean, I hope everybody's seeing this. One of the reasons for reading poetry like this is that it teaches us to see holes, to, to know that there's more, there's... I just take this as, I mean, I really think of... The Trinity, you know, you can hear the Trinity. One of the, one of the gifts to us 
and learning to see that there's a greater depth of meaning to the Trinity here is that we have a notion of a that's the start of, that's the uh, Alpha Omega that's the it's it's everything there that's everything that's where everything came from that's where everything goes back to have a notion of that Trinity in the way that I just described it should change the way we look at everything on earth that wholeness trying to recover that if you don't have a, a sense of that Trinity how can you even begin to see what's the full meaning of what's taking place right in front of us. I mean, what we know, I think, when we learn as we go along is, what we learn is there's so much going on in front of us that we don't even begin to see. Faith helps us. Reason helps us. Um, there's this great fullness awaiting everybody. And Dante is gradually entering into it more and more fully with each step. Quickly, the purgatory the image of the mountain, as I've said before, I believe is an image of the church. The, the, it, it is offering, it, it is the church that brings Christ to us to help us on our journey of penance. Remember, the, the, whole, of the, the whole of purgatory comes into being because Christ said, repent. That's his opening call. We can't start anything if we don't start repenting. All the people in anti-purgatory are there because they put it off. I have a question. Yeah. What happens if you have a couple of these things? Is it the main thing that you go and that's where you're placed? Let's say you were gluttonous and slothful. Oh, yeah. I'm pretty sure it's all of them. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you get a pass. Well, no, no, but what I'm saying is... We're going we're gonna to get there. Okay. But you're, I mean, you're, you're, I think your sense is right. I mean, the fact that you're asking that question. It's so clear. Most people have all those sins. In one, I'm going to come to that. Actually, I'm going to come to that. Hold on. All right. Okay. So getting ahead of me here. Um, it's actually where I'm going right now. It's an image of the church. The church is, is Christ. It's bringing us to him. Okay. So the prayers, the music, the art, the, the sacraments, we, we talked, this, I mean, this is so stunning to me. Remember when we began with the Protestant Catholic thing and, and we went back to the Reformers? As a, as a group, uniformly, they took the sacraments away. They took the authority of the church away. I mean, just to throw this out again, I don't want to go back there, but just remember, um, if Christ is the founder of the church, and you shift the, the authority away from him or what he gave Peter, and you make the majority rule in a congregation, the basis of the authority, who you're going to choose for a minister or what's going to happen, then the serious question is, um, can you do that? Can man take the place of doing what only God can do for us? If our sin was against him and we need his help, and he's in the Eucharist, he's offering himself as a help. If you do away with all of that stuff so that man can decide whatever he's gonna do, is he undercutting what God did, the authority of God? So the purgatory, I think, is the image. Um, and, and we see that in a number of ways, the keys and the authority that we talked about, I'll get to in a minute. Um, <clears throat> the whole effort of the church, as, we, as it's presented here, is to help man turn away from his worldliness, his attachments to the world, to free himself from them in order to return to God. And that means undertaking 
whatever penance each person needs to do, but the whole call of the church is towards virtue, number one. Turn to page 282 quickly. I'm just going to touch on this briefly. These are two, two qualities of the church that I want everybody to hold on. This is um, at the level of the wrathful on purgatory. I'm jumping ahead for a minute just to get to a principle. I'm going to go back, but I want to get this principle out. This is Marco Lombard. At the level of the wrathful, all of the penitents are um, suffocating in one sense, blinded by the smoke. They're all enveloped by smoke. It's an image of wrath. Okay, And um, on page 283, um, Marco says this, I was a Lombard, Marco was my name, I knew about the world, I loved that good at which men no longer aim their, their bows. What is that good? Just hold on. The path you're on will lead you to the stairs, thus he replied, then he added, now I pray that you will pray for me when you're above. There is not a level that Dante goes to in which people are not praying, because one of the principles of this is love is efficient. If a person loves another person, he prays for them, that love will be answered. That's an absolute principle that runs through this. Love is efficacious. To, to, to say that prayers don't matter is to say love doesn't matter. And we know everywhere that it does. Um, love, love fills the universe, according to Dante and um, God. I promise you to do what you've asked, I said, but there's a problem haunting me. I can no longer keep it to myself. I was first made aware of it below, and now it plagues my mind a second time, for your word second when I first heard there. Lombard has just said, evil everywhere. Nobody looks out for the good that they once did. The world indeed, as you have just declared, is destitute of every virtue known. What is purgatory doing? At every single level, it's attempting, it's helping people answer a sin by recovering a virtue that puts that sin away. The whole effort of our life should be to become virtuous. To love the good, knowing that by loving that good, we become more and more virtuous. How could it not be? Turn to 296. That's one principle of the purgatorio. Um, at each one of the levels, um, we get goads and checks, and I'll come back to this, but I want to just point this principle out because it's really wonderful. Dante seeing the goads and checks on this particular level, um, bottom of page 295, Marion Haste ran to the hills, cried one, the other Caesar Elurda to subdue thrust at Marseilles, and then rushed down to Spain. Faster, faster, we have no time to waste, for time is love. Put that up against a modern mathematician's notion of time. Dante believes this. If God made everything, how can anything exist that doesn't in some way express love? Um... Faster, faster, we have no time to waste, for time is love, cried others from behind. Strive to do good, that grace may bloom again. 
Remember, when the sun goes down, nobody can move. The penance is teaching everybody to trust in God, to stop relying on themselves so much. They have to learn to stop. Our world does everything it can to push us to constantly move. To it's a tread. We have, in order to succeed and have money and wealth, we have to keep going. Dante saying, "Step up." That worldliness is not helping us. We have to be careful. So, learning to wait is, is partly a way of expressing our trust in Him. To stop acting as if we don't do something that's not going to get done. It's a different spirit to take to everything. So, so um, two of the two of the qualities that define purgatory are the qualities that define our church. We have to learn to wait. We have um, Advent. A small, a small penance, you know, a mild. We have Lent. We're learning to discipline ourselves. We're we're asking ourselves to learn to trust more in God, to work with Him, to stop acting like He's not around, and and we have to get everything done because somehow He won't be as good at it as we will. God, I hope I'm, hope I'm not misspeaking here. Maybe just speaking for myself. I don't know. The contrapassos that we encounter here are different from the contrapassos in hell. They're still contrapassos. Remember, they're images of the sin. But here, they're put to good effect. In hell, they're not. Because here, they've got God working for them. Each, each, at each level, we will be introduced to a contrapasso. It's an expression of the condition of the sin and the effects it has. But unlike hell, here, people are receiving help. They've got God's mercy. So at every level, they're experiencing goads and checks. And I've described those, right? Everybody's clearing them? Goads are what? Do you remember? How are they different from checks? Checks are not those people in a foreign country, either. <laughs> no. <laughs> that was good. I thought that was... <laughs> My wife didn't think so. Goads are... Examples of the virtue opposite the sin. They're goading us on. Checks are examples of the sin itself. They're checking us. We don't want to keep doing those things. That's the abstract definition. We're, we'll, it'll all become clear in a minute because we're going to start going through them. But it's important to see that's what's going on. So the goads and checks are helping. What else is helping? God's art. Um, there is no, just... You know that phrase in our mass, be everywhere and always thankful. When we're in the midst of miseries in our life, particularly with personal relationships, how often do we thank God? God, it's like he disappears. He doesn't disappear. He's at work with us. The one thing God can't do, it's amazing. I think the Protestant world has just so destroyed this. The one thing God can't, remember the Protestant took away free will. The, the fall was the effects of the fall were complete. The one thing God can't do is play loose with free will because it was the one thing that made us most like Him, the freedom of it. So whatever He does in our lives, He has to be careful of that. I mean, we've looked at the Iliad, the Odyssey, where the gods come in and out. To me, it's amazing. Otherwise, we've got a Deus mech, mech, Mechina. God comes in and arbitrarily just picks things up and fixes them. 
if that's the condition we're in, what does that make of the free will he gave us when he created it? It so degrades it, right? It so degrades it. He works, he, he is working with us always. The, the question is, how open are we to him? Or how much are we trying to control things ourselves, not trusting in him? I hope everybody's seen that, because it's not an easy thing, because God wants it. God wants us to use all of our abilities. He wants us to freely give them. The work that we do is important. You know, teaching or working with kids or people or whatever we do, we've got a free will and we want to help. And, and very often that puts us at risk because we have to make decisions that sometimes aren't easy. It's going to cost personal relationships. Family can be upset with it. Work can, you know, it puts us at risk often. God just cannot come in and do something without derogating, without demeaning the free will he gave us. So it's important that humans learn to work with God, to wait on him. But what we learn going to purgatory is God is present everywhere. He, there's nothing going on on the mountain that doesn't reflect him. We'll see that in a minute. Um, and that's obvious in one respect in the, in the rule. You, you, they can't keep climbing when the sun goes down because the sun is the image of him at work. They've got to learn to wait to work with him. Prayers at every, at every level. Um, <clears throat> and remember, I've said this, I'll just repeat it because it's so important, I think, when we look at the purgatory. At every level, as people have these sins removed, it's like a layer of blindness being stripped away and they see in a different way. Every level they're going to learn to see something differently. Learn to see differently. Just for an example. At the level of proud, all the sinners are bent over. They've got these big boulders. Because they didn't, they didn't bear, in their, in their pride, because they didn't bear the burdens they shouldn't, should have done in life, now they're being asked to humble themselves. So in order for them to see, they have to make a real effort. They have to go against themselves to learn to see. Now, we can take that for granted, but I hope, I mean, speaking as a teacher, I mean, and anybody who's been in that capacity, you know sometimes you're dealing with students who are so stubborn. I mean, if they're going to see it all, it's going to have to, they're going to have to make a serious effort because they're not used to seeing a different way from the way they see. That's true for all of us. I mean, you've been hearing me harp on that for years now that we don't read very well. We don't read the world well. So um, to go up purgatory means the souls are having to learn to see on multiple levels. They have to learn to see the literal level, what's going on before them, and also understand that there are more things going on at every moment than the literal, literal, literal level shows. So that in reading, in learning to read poetry, in one sense, we're learning to read the world better. Poetry gives us an enlarged vision. Hopefully, it's something we take to the world. It helps us see the world differently, a little bit better. Um, another way of putting that is, they're learning to see with their eyes. God gave us a body; it's good. Our eyesight is good, but they're learning to see spiritual realities beyond the literal. The deeper things are going on at every level as their sins are being removed. They learn to see with great they learn to see into greater depths. 
is what's going on. So that's that's um, purgatory, just in principle. You know, what we're doing. I'd like to turn to the text if if I'm okay. If anybody has a brief question, but I want to try to keep it short. I really want to get into the text here. Any brief questions? Oh, in the siren. the siren, yeah, for sure, because it's major, Mary. Okay. To me, it's a major. I felt like it was major, and I felt like I didn't get it. No, it's it's <laughs> crucial. It's absolutely it, to <laughs> me. It's funny. a it's huge. It's a, okay. We we will get there. Wait, wait. <laughs> okay, okay. Let's let's go back to where. Let's go back. Go back to uh, it was nine or ten when we left off. I want to just quickly. <coughs> I'm getting it right now. Um, um, 2.45, end of 9, just very, very briefly. Remember, Dante was um, carried up by Lucia to St. Peter's Gate, and he had to cross the three steps. You remember the white, black, and red? Red. The, the white is um, marble white, it gives a clear reflection, Dante. What, what that symbolizes is the important the necessity of learning to see oneself as he is, um, to see clearly, transparently, um, to see the, the cracks, the weaknesses in our souls. Remember the black step, or the black, um, the black step that was cracked and sort of gutted over. And then the porphyry, the red um, step, which symbolizes, I believe, the, the stepping into the activity of penance, that, that we enter into the blood of Christ, that we have to, we have to take on our sins. And that's a, that's a sacramental act. It, it, it relates us directly to the blood of Christ, the sacrifice, because what happens when we go to confession and take on penance is that we're struggling to die. To put ourselves away, to enter into the cross. So, those are the essential elements. Anybody who doesn't enter into them won't fully enter into penance. And then the guardian takes out the two keys. Remember, on two forty-five, the one key was silver, the other gold. I want to just—I want to quickly turn to page one forty-seven. I want to just to make this clear. I ask the question: Then, what? Why the two keys? Remember, these are the two keys that Christ gave Peter, and I've gone over that a number of times now, that, that, that scene in which Christ asked Peter, who does he think he is, and Peter says, you are the Christ, and Christ says, uh, nobody told you, nobody human told you that. I've talked about that, right, that that's a, a taking of the auspices moment. You all know what a taking of the auspices is now. Whoa. Gita, do you know? No. Are you kidding me? 
taking, I thought it just, maybe it was on the Friday morning that I, um, I don't remember that. Wait. <laughs> well, yeah, I think you covered it. No. Yeah, it was, it was Friday class. I don't <laughs> <laughs> There's always one or two in every class. I don't think I've ever had, I don't think I've ever said that of you before, Carl. Um, Isn't that when you realize that in order to gain, you've got to lose No, here, just very quickly. In the ancient world, remember, those of you who've done the Iliad, the Odyssey, the, the, the ancient epics were, had a number of these moments. A taking of the auspices, an auspices, an omen, a, a prophetic moment, a, some sign. A sign is given, and we all know that, that as humans we're very susceptible to signs. People with um, religious imaginations, can very often make of signs something that's not there. That's why the church takes the pains that it does to deal with these um, showings, these appearances. Yeah, uh, Revelation is another, an omen, any of those things. Um, a taking of the auspices means a sign is given, whatever the omen is. Taking of the auspices means you look for a confirmation because you know you may be misreading it. Now think, th this is amazing. This is the pagan world, not, not Christian. This is not Christian. That's pagan. What does the church do when people talk about having revelation? Because they know people can get carried away with their imagination. They can say, God is here. He's everywhere. He's doing this. <clears throat> they can find God everywhere and believe it and be wrong. Um, taking the auspices means you've experienced an omen, some startling event, and you're looking for a confirmation. If you don't get it, you have to seriously question the nature of that revelation, that omen. So, remember, in just I'll give a couple quick examples. Remember in the Odyssey, on the night before battle, Odysseus was up all night, troubled because he knew he was going to have to go to war the next day with the suitors, and it was a life or death situation. And he was interesting. He's recalling the Cyclops. Interesting. Homer, Homer's amazing. He's recalling the Cyclops episode. And remember, the Cyclops is the one who took Odysseus' men, smashed them, ground them up, and ate them. And he said, you were in the Cyclops' cake. Bear up, my heart. Bear up. Be strong. Because he knew the next day he's going to be facing death. Um, Cyclops takes them in, crushes them against stone, eats them. Odysseus gets them drunk, Remember? I'm thinking about doing the Iliad and the Odyssey and the Iliad again, just for people who have not done it. I'm really serious, because without it, you just... Um, without, without it, so much of what Dante's doing is lost. Um, just when he has that thought, there's an omen. One of the mill, mill women cry out from her house, O oh Zeus, if only God would destroy these men who have been grinding up our knees and eating us for all these years. It's an exact image of the Cyclops. If you know the suitors, you know they've been abusing the women, using them. I mean, they're, the women have to go to work to feed these hundred suitors. So in a sense, they've been ground up. So the parallel with the Cyclops is not accidental. So Odysseus hears that, like it's an omen. Oh, God, do away with these horrible suitors. And he waits. And he takes the auspices. What happens a moment later? There's thunder in the sky. It's like Zeus is responding. So Odysseus knows. Um, in Aeschylus's 
trilogy, the Oresteia, the Agamemnon, and the uh, Eumenides. Aeschylus is the first great Greek tragic writer. Orestes has had a had a command by Apollo, an omen, when he, his his wife killed his father, his mother killed his father. He has to avenge his father's death, and he's going to kill his mother. That's from that's from Apollo, the god. That's his mission, an omen. When he comes to kill his mother, he gets an he gets a confirmation by what Clytemnestra's mother says on stage. I, I don't want to go into it, but he gets the confirmation, and he knows finally that he has to take this seriously. In the Aeneid, when Aeneas is going to Rome, he's trying to settle. He's been wandering eight years, failing after founding, after founding, after founding, after founding. He finally comes to the Tiber after all these failings. He sees across the river um, a, a, um, a, pig, a pig, a sow, with her 30 piglets. And it's, an image, it's actually an image of Rome. If you've read the Aeneid, you know that the image of Carthage, the city that Rome will go to war with, is um, a war horse, a stately war horse. It's Dido's image. The image of Rome, a sow with 30 piglets. It couldn't be uglier, more homely, and it images Rome because why? Because Rome is for all people. It, it gives up some of its nobility for the sake of everybody. That's the nature of Rome. It's where all people will be. That's what he's fighting for. He sees this image and thinks it's an omen of indicating that the, he's home. This is his founding because he's not. He's been founding for years, and failing, and suddenly an omen is given. I mean, I can't remember. I'd have to go back, but an omen is given, and Aeneas knows. So a taking of the auspices is taking of the auspices. You take a holy, an omen, some something, and you look to see, because if you don't, you can go on the assumption that it's divine when it's not. It may be feeding your own pride, your own ego, to think to be able to say God's, do, you know. Why why does the church take the pains it does? Because it knows that we're in danger with holy things. So in this in this taking of the auspices moment, Peter, the disciples, who do you say I am? They can't answer. Peter, who do you say I am? You are the Christ. Where did that come from? Do the disciples see it? Do they have any indication what's going on? Christ says to him, Peter, nobody flesh and blood. You got that from the Father. So a holy moment has just taken place. Peter says, you are the Christ. Who knew that? None of them. That's the omen. Where does the confirmation come from? This is what's extraordinary. Where does the confirmation come from? Christ. The founder of the church. How's that for a confirmation? Nobody said that. What he's saying is, he goes on to say in that same seat, on this rock, I will build my church. You are Petros, the rock the rock on which this church will be built, and gives him the keys. And he's giving him that authority. Why? Because we've talked about that. Because how can he deal with evil in the world with less authority? We've seen what people do with Christ. I mean, they make him everything. They change doctrines all the time. So that's a taking of the auspices moment, and the confirmation of it comes from God himself. It's an extraordinary moment. In that moment, he gives Peter the keys. Whoever you loosen... Here will be in heaven. Whoever you bind will be. Think about the authority of that. That's extraordinary. 
So my question last week was, the, the guardian pulls out these two keys. Now take a look on 147. This is Guido de Montefeltro. Remember, this is the, this is the passage that T.S. Eliot used in Prufrock. Boy, I feel like I'm getting back in a classroom in UD, because this is getting maybe a little bit tough here. I don't know, but... I wouldn't be scared. Um, this is, well, this, here, you, it's good for you. This is T.S. Eliot, and this is the passage he uses as the, as the epigram for Prufrock. Bottom of 147. <clears throat> If I thought that I were speaking to a soul who someday might return to see the world, most certainly this flame would cease to flicker. But since no one, if I've heard the truth, ever returns alive from this deep pit with no fear of dishonor, I'll ask. So he's only, he's only telling because he believes Dante's not going to go back to the world. But we know he's... Here it is. But here's what's on page 240, er, 149. Here's his story. As Constantine once had Silvestro brought from Mount... Soracht day to cure his leprosy, so this one sought me out as his physician. This is Pope Boniface coming to Guido to ask him for advice on how to defeat a Catholic family he's going to go to war with, because this Catholic family opposed him because of some of Boniface's practices. To cure his brain fever caused by pride, he asked me to advise him. I was silent for his words were drunken. Because he's going he's to tell the Pope how to destroy a Catholic family. Then he spoke again, Fear not, I tell you, the sin you will commit, it is forgiven. That is, there's the keys. I'm going I'm to absolve you. That's what he does in confession, yeah? When you committed a sin. Um, it is forgiven. Now you will teach me how I can level Palestrina to the ground. Mine is the power, as you cannot deny, to lock and unlock heaven. Two keys I have, those keys my predecessor did not cherish. And when his weighty arguments had forced me to the point that silence seemed to poor choice, I said, Father, since you grant me absolution, for the sin I find I must fall into now, ample promise with a scant fulfillment will bring you triumph on your lofty throne. What he's remember, this is the this is the level of false counselors. He's saying to Boniface make all these promises with no intent of keeping them and you'll defeat this family so he's a false counselor that's why he's at this level but he's just described what the pope did with the keys he said go ahead and commit the sin and i'll absolve you now go back to the go back to the two keys where what page was that 245. Um, what is it 245 um, okay. Yeah. 245. Um, one key was silver, the other gold. First he applied the white one, then the yellow, whichever either. Now, here was my question last week, and I want to just take it up to be clear, because this is, this is one of the conditions of going forward, the, the use of these two keys. What do those two keys symbolize? I think we went over this, didn't we? To bind and loose. Sorry? To bind and loose. Did I get that right? <laughs> that's that's what the power that's power. that's the authority of the church and the authority of Peter. The authority of the church what and what else? The authority of Peter. That's Christ and Peter. Yeah, it was the two keys represent traditionally in the church's understanding is the gold key is the authority that Christ gave Peter. 
The silver key is the practical wisdom with which to apply it. I thought I went over this. Yeah. Think think about what priests do with absolution. What happened to Guido? Wait, let me put this differently. Both keys are necessary. What happens if you have the power, the authority to do it, but you misuse it? You misapply it. Because to to make to really enter purgatory, one has to have a genuine contrition. If you go in and confess a sin and you're not contrite, you yourself are taking away the absolution. Christ isn't. He offers it. Both keys are needed. If you have the authority and misuse it, you're Guido in hell. And, and Boniface, by the way, is going to be there too. Um, remember, Pope, there's all sorts of popes filling up hell. If you, if you, if you don't have the authority and you exercise it as if you did, what's the result? Well, you, it wouldn't work. If, if, if you would, it wouldn't work. If, I mean, I, the, the options for this, the alternatives for this are really interesting to me. If you claim to have the authority of God and you think you can forgive yourself for a sin against God, is your act going to be efficacious? No, it wouldn't be. It would be futile, right? Has everybody seen that? Man can't take on himself an authority he doesn't have. That comes from God, or it doesn't come. So to practice that authority is futile. It's useless. Which means if a person's in real sin, he's in despair or or an illusion. He'll think he's um, absolved when he's not. So both keys are necessary. To bind and loosen, you have to have the authority to do that and the wisdom with which to apply that authority. And we know that priests often, there are corruptions in the church right now that give that away, that priests have abused that authority and what they've done with it. So Dante's saying, if penance is to be real, you pass through this gate, those two things are a part of what you do. What's going on as the souls move up purgatory is that they're being absolved stage by stage by stage with the help of grace with God's help okay okay let's um, let's go to the book finally Um, 247 the gate is open. Remember, the guardian says, "What's what's what's the rule? To not look back." Oh, that's right. Remember, there's a number of rules here. Oh, wait. By, by the way, another way. Don't just as a part of you. Remember, Cato's at the bottom of this. Without that sternness, without that hardness, men don't have the strength to go through with this. So Cato's there. There's a law that has to be enforced. A law that has to be enforced with Cato. The other one is you go through the gates, it's the three steps of confession and then the keys. The the heart has to be right, it has to be open to receive the absolution. Once he passes through, the angel says, do not look back. So there's a number of serious laws here that man can't play with. If this is going to be real, remember Dante had to wash his face, he cannot look back. To look back is to want to hold on to that worldliness. He has to... Yep. Okay. 247 in the middle of the page, 
we finally squeeze through the needle's eye. Why is that described as the needle's eye? Like the rich man can go through What's Christ's use of that metaphor? It's easier. The rich man to get into heaven. Yeah. Right. Yeah, Impossible to for Impossible for men, but not for God. So what's who's doing this? Who's the initiative? Who's the initiative here? What's going on right now is impossible for men. Remember? Harder than a needle or a camel going through, except for God. All things are possible for him. So this is that needle. That what Dante's beginning to undertake, I mean, to go to Marx, you know, what's he learning to see? What are we learning to see? We're learning to see God in just this infinite variety of ways at work in this world. This is our church. The first thing he sees, there's this thing about God's art. The first thing he sees on the, on the uh, side of the mountain are these, 248. Pure white marble, on his flawless face were carvings that would surely put to shame not only Polyclete, a great ancient artist, but nature too. Even nature can't, this is so good, even nature can't compare with what Dante's seen on the face of this white, this marble mountain. The angel came down to announce on earth a peace longed for by weeping centuries which broke the ancient ban and opened heaven appeared before our eyes, a shape alive, carved in an attitude of marble grace, an effigy that could have spoken words. One would have sworn that he was saying, Ave, this is Gabriel coming to announce, this is Mary's yes, right? For she who turned the, she who turned the key, opening for us the highest love, was also figured there. The outlines of her image carved the words, Ece and Sive Dei, as clearly cut as is the imprint of a seal on wax. Virgil says, look at others. What he sees next is um, David carrying the ark down at the bottom. Carved in the spread of marble there, I saw the cart and oxen with a holy ark, a warning not to exceed one's competence. Ahead of it moved seven separate choirs testing my senses. One of them said, one of these said, no. The other one said, yes, they truly sing. So he's looking at them. And it's as if his ears, it's as if he's saying, it's as if they're really singing and I hear it. And at the same time saying, no, that's impossible. Okay, now hold on to this just for a second. With equal art, the smoke which censors poured was traced so faithfully that eyes and nose, that is the eyes now and spelling, all the senses are involved here, right? Ears, eyes, nose, could not decide between a yes or a no. Is what he's seeing real or not? Ahead and far beyond the um, sacred ark, his robes girt up the humble psalmist dance, showing himself both more and less than king. Remember, his wife Micah, Michael is so embarrassed, she's ashamed of her husband, of David. Depicted on the other side was Micah, Michael, as from a palace window she looked on, her face revealed her sadness and her scorn. And then go down, the, the, the final, this is the, these are the first three, these are the first instances of, of goads and checks. What Dante first experiences are the goads. First one is Mary, the second one is David, the third one is Trajan, the emperor. The trampled space surrounded him was packed with knights on horseback, eagles flying high, threaded in gold of banners in the wind. The poor widow amid the mass of shapes seemed to be saying, Lord, avenge my son who has been killed. 
my heart is cut with grief. Trajan's got other business, top of 250. He says, I can't do it now. You'll have to wait. She says, but oh, the persistence of the, remember the persistence of the women in Christ, the one, the one who wanted, remember the crumbs, and she would not let Christ go. And finally, he gave in. But oh my Lord, if you should not return, and he who takes my place will do it for me. She, how can you let another's virtue take the place of yours? She will not give up. She, she's not, not letting him off the hook at all. Then he take comfort, for I see I must perform my duty now before I leave. Justice so wills, and pity holds me here. It's his pity for her that keeps him. Here's a good instance of pity. Now, hold on. So, what's happening is here. We're going to see in a minute. All of the um, prideful are on their knees with boulders looking down. On the floor of the mountain terrace are images of the checks. We'll see them in a minute. They're images of the checks. They have to strain their heads. They have to make an effort. To, was going to what that point I made earlier. They have to make an effort to see the the goats, Mary, David, Trajan. Okay. But here's my question: What's going on when Dante looks at the images on the marble face and he says, teasing my senses? One of these said no. The other one said yes. They truly sing. With equal art, the smoke which censors poured was traced so faithfully that eyes and nose could not decide between a yes or no. What's going on? Why does he put it that way? What do we learn from this? This, to me, is one of the most beautiful affirmations of poetry, I think, in all of literature. No, no. What... Remember, these are the goads. These are absolutely essential for the, these people. They, it's important that they be encouraged with examples of humility. Remember, Mary's always going to be the first one. Um, the, the answer to pride is what? Humble, humble ourselves to make ourselves humble. Mary's always the first. And then here it's David and Trajan. What Dante's showing us is art. I really believe it's literature, it's poetry. When the souls look at the face, they seem so alive that for a moment they're real. For, for those of you who just, I mean, some of you have been doing this for a while. If you go back to the Iliad when we're in the middle of it, or the Odyssey, or, or what do we do, middle of Paradise Lost, or Dante right now. When we read literature, or are in a good movie, when we're reading literature, reading well, aren't there moments where you're so caught up that you actually feel like you can see Dante, like he's alive and you can hear it. So what we're showing, what Dante is showing us is God's art, the great poet, who's put images on the face of the mountain that will inspire the penitents, give them encouragement to undertake this penance, to, to do the humility. It's another way of saying, very often we're surrounded by examples of humility. It's important to be inspired by them. What we're going to see in the next level is envy. What happens when people see people doing something better than they are? What happens, what they do because of the envy with which they look at those. We'll see another thing, but here, here, they, um, here they're, they're being strengthened by them. And as they move along and they see the examples of um, pride, the effect of that, the purpose of it is to help discourage them from 
committee the same thing, you know, putting away the pride. So here's this, you know, Dante's critique of art, always right along. It's important that, that, that people be aware of what art is doing, what it can do, and some of the things that, sadly, it shouldn't do. Um, go over to... Um, they move along the, uh, the, the ledge, and the first penitent, this group of penitents, the, the proud, the first group that comes along, the, the first person who speaks up is Umberto on page 254. Dante asks that they speak with them. Remember now, their heads are bowed down. They, they cannot comfortably... These, these people have to strain to do everything because they're doing everything they can against themselves. They're carrying these big burdens. I'm Umberto, and the sin of pride has ruined not only me, but all my house, dragging them with, with it to calamity. This weight which I refused while I still lived, I now am forced to bear among the dead until the day that God is satisfied. It's not up to him. Mm-hmm. What's the danger of its being up to him? Pride. 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 In his own will. He, he's being asked to put it away. God, God's the one who's going to decide here, not him. The next one is um, Odorisi. Oh, I said, you must be that Odorisi, honor of Gubbio, honor of the art which men in Paris call illuminating. The pages Fran- Franco Bolognese paints, he said, my brother's smile more radiant. His is the honor now, now that he's dead, his brother's taken on the honor of, of his family, of being the great artist. Less courteous would I have been to him, I must admit, while I was still alive, and my desire was only to excel. For people like that, the price is paid up here. I would not even be here were it not that while I could st- still could sin, I turned to God. Going over, 256. That one is um, Provisan Salvani. Um, he, he was a political leader in Siena, so he crawls on and has crawled since he died. Why is he doing this? Because of his pride. Down at the bottom, while he was the apex of his glory in Siena's marketplace of his free will, putting aside all shame, he took his stand and there to ransom from his suffering a friend who is immune in Charles's jail he brought himself to do what chilled his veins. That is, he was a very proud, arrogant man, but at the end of his life, out of friendship for this person in trouble, he did what he would have never done himself all his life. And it's why he's where he is now instead of down below where all the late penitent, remember? Before purgatory. I say no more. My words I know are vague, but your own neighbors not too long from now will help you to interpret it as later. But what he did was go into the marketplace and he begged for food on his knees. This is a guy who had complete political power. Now, what are the classes of the men that Dante encounters here? Identify He meets three people. What are the classes? What is Dante showing us about pride? What's the first one? Pride in family. What's the second? Pride in creation. Artistic creation, excelling in art. What's the third? Political power. What's the significance of that order? We're going to find over and over and over again, all the way through purgatory. In fact, all half of the half of the checks, because there's a long list of checks. Half of the checks have to do with family disorders. I don't understand about the art part. Because if you have talent and you're not prideful, you have talent. Right. 
question is if you're not. I mean, there. I mean, that's. Oh, the, okay. That's it's. Well, I mean, how? I mean, I, that to me, you just you said it so perfectly. How many artists are free of pride? Mm -hmm. Truly, I mean, think about celebrities in our world today. <laughs> no, I'm not talking about classical artists. I'm, any, like art, any art, yeah. and any art, any art. Let know. it be any art. Yeah. I don't know if he had pride or not. Yeah, that's true. That, but you are right, a lot of them. Um, as I read it, I mean, you, I'm not a biblical scholar, but I, I think. I think I'm. I think what I'm saying is accurate here. I hope it is. Of the disorders that Christ faced in the world, the two most serious are the religious leaders and family. Two greatest disorders: religious leaders and family. With respect to the family, this is how serious it is. With respect to the family, if if any, how did he put it? If any husband. If any mother think more of her family than of me, if any father, I can't remember the words, but there's that passage where he says, if anybody thinks, any father or mother thinks more of me than he will not. Um, I came to divide a mother from her daughter, father from son, brother, you know. Um, he came to the man um, and said, come follow me. What was the man's response? Let me go bury my father, my father. Christ's response? This is stunning to me. And I, I think people just don't get close to reading. Let the dead bury the dead. He's saying to that man, he's half dead already. To make our families more important than Christ is, be, is to become the living dead. I, I don't watch that program on TV, but they've got this program that's been running for years, the living dead. It's people going through, you know, the living dead on earth. Think about Christ's response. Let the dead bury the dead. He, his family, his father was more important. I mean, indirectly, it was, you know, let me see my life through with my family. Let me take care of it first. So the dangers that the family presents to itself are serious. To me, it's not an accident that Dante put, again, what's the order? The, the, the ways in which our pride get in the way of going to Christ. The greatest dangers, those of you who did C.S. Lewis, the two we have faces, if you remember, the, the great danger to Oriole, and that is her family, her sister. Um, where's it going to go here? Sorry, it just jumped and lost me. Um, oh, there's a. We're going to learn in the next few pages when Dante gets past it. Which, which level is he going to be most afraid of? after he dies and comes back. Do you remember? He's very open about it. It's level of pride. It's the one level that scares me personally. I mean, more than I can say. I mean, when I think about it, I think I understand why Dante felt the way he did. Um, you know, wanting to be self-sufficient by ourselves, above, be the best artist, be the best teacher, be the best baseball player. God, the envy among athletes today just drives me nuts. Some guy gets a million dollars and his competitor thinks he's, he's not getting what he deserves. I mean, the way we're going to see this in the next level in envy. Well, that's the way the world treats things. Yes. Be better than anybody for else. Sure. Yeah, for sure. But, but there are people that believe their talents come from God. And that's, if they truly believe that, you won't have this. Or well, you, you might have some, but you won't have a lot. 
Well, even put it more broadly, even if even I mean to try to be more generous, if even if they didn't be, believe in God, if they could do it with some humility, they'd be answering Dante's concern here. But um, anyway, just hold on to that family. Be, being better than somebody else at what you do. Remember, all art it, for Dante is just painting. It's industry. Whatever you could be a captain of industry. All art in Dante's world would have meant indu- nature and industry. Whatever we do to make nature better. You can be an artist, excuse me, be a businessman. Here Dante makes it family, art, politics, power. <clears throat> Quickly, let's go over because we're, we're, we're about, we're about, yeah, I want to get to the envious. Um, over on um, 258. So as they move past this penitence, these men and most of the people in hell are not all of them, but the majority of them are men. Um, I think if Dante were alive today, that imbalance would would change. Um, um, as he goes on, he sees the goads on the pathway. Remember, they they can see the goads easily because they're bowed over. Right, the checks. I'm sorry. They have to make an effort to see the goats. They have to work hard to see them. 258 at the bottom. I saw but far more true to life, but far more true to life being divinely wrought. Stone carvings there covered the path that juts out from the mount. I saw on one side him who was supposed to be the noblest creature of creation. Who's that? Satan. Satan. I saw Briarius on the other side pierced through by the celestial sunder, but he defied Zeus. I saw um, Thrymbraeus and saw Pallas and Mars still armed, the giants rebelling against the gods. I saw mighty Nimrod by his tower. O Niobe, I saw your grieving eyes. Um, she had, she had um, daughters, 14 children, and she boasted that she was greater than um, Diana, a god again. She made her family more important than the gods. O mad Arachne, um, I could see you there, half turned to spider. Oh, Rehoboam, an image of you there. Um, go down some more. Um, um, Alpion um, was involved in a family treacheries. Somebody got a bracelet, and because of pride of ancestry, the way, the way, um, what do you call them? Trinkets and things get passed down. The you know the heirlooms. Heirlooms, thanks. Heirlooms get passed down. The people put such stock in those as a way of expressing their pride, their family pride, that they get in the way of loving God. Another family, uh, Rehoboam, um, wasn't. The issue there was family lineage. Again, passing down. Sennacherib, the sons of Sennacherib, they killed their father after defeat. Again, family pride getting the way that led them to kill. Um, Tomaris killed Cyrus after he killed her sons. Family pride again. Troy. Remember, those of you who've done the Iliad, remember that Troy fell. Um, mostly because of King Priam's hubris about Hector. They should have given, they should have given Helen back. That war would have come to an end. In the opening of the Iliad, the, the Trojans gather and say, let's give her back. And Priam says, no, God, 
one of the most embarrassing moments in all the literature for me. Priam says, like he's a pious man, no, hold on to hell, let the gods decide between us. It's like he's being pious. Should have given her back. If he'd given her back, the world would have been over before he gets destroyed. So a, a large number of, of checks, and the majority of those checks have to do with family disorders. Okay. Now quickly, on 264, they go to the next level of the envious, and they hear these voices in the air. Now remember, the proud had to strain to see. To learn to see, they had to strain. Here, they'll, they'll encounter the envious, and their eyes will be wired shut. Now, that's the contrapasso. So the goads now and the checks come in the form of voices heard. Middle of 264. We'd already gone along that ledge as far as what is called a mile on earth and quickly too because of our goodwill. When spirits who could not be seen were heard as they came flying towards us speaking words of courteous invitation to love's board. The first voice that came flying past us sang in loud clear the words Vinim nom habit. Mary, that's Mary saying, they have no wine. Now how's that an answer to envy? Hold on to that, okay? They have no wine. Before the notes had faded quietly in the distance, another voice cried out, I am Orestes. And that voice too swept by. That's um, Pelodes, Orestes' friend, who wanted to um, substitute himself for Orestes. It was an act of love to spare his friend. So he said, I am Orestes. Oh, I said, Father, what voices are these? And just as I was shaking, as a third said, passing by, love those who do you harm. Who said that? Christ said it. Socrates also got close to that, but that's Christ. Um, now, as they go along, they see these penitents, 265 in the middle. When I'd come up close enough to see the nature of the penance they endured, the sight squeezed bitter tears out of my eyes. Their cloaks seemed to be made of coarsest Horses cloth and one's head on another shoulder lay. They're learning to support each other because they can't see. So they're leaning against the wall. They're leaning on each other's shoulder. They've got these sackcloths on and their eyes are, are wired shut. They brought to mind blind beggars at church doors during indulgences, begging their bread, the one leaning his head upon the neck. Going over... <clears throat> As he comes up to one group, he asks if anybody can speak Italian. And one of them says at the bottom of 266, My brother, all of us are citizens of one true city. You mean, is there a soul who was a pilgrim once in Italy? This shows Dante's, I don't to call it, tribal, ethnic. You know, she's, she's responding appropriately at this level. There's only one city. Finally. It was like Rome for the Aeneid. It, it's where everybody gathers. It's the one city in which all people will be together again. Um, he comes to one of the souls and she identifies herself. She says in the middle of 267, I was a Sinese here with the rest. I mend my evil life with tears and beg of him that he reveal himself to us. Though named Sapia, sapient I was not. Sapia means wisdom. She was not wise. I always reveled in another's grief. Go down it happened that my townspeople were engaged in a battle just outside Coley. I prayed God for what already he had willed. Our men were scattered on the plain and forced to take the bitter course of flight. I watched the chase seized with a surge of joy so fierce 
I raised my shameless face to God and cried, I have lost all my fear of thee. It's like somebody, I mean, you hear the story. I hope they get what they deserve. I mean, it's wanting harm on another. Um, I was the blackbird when the sun comes out a while. Um, I did not seek my place, peace with God, not till my final hour came, and even then penance would not yet have reduced my death had it not been for um, one Pierre Petanieo, who moved by charity to grieve for me, remembered me in all his holy prayers. Over and over and over again, we keep seeing uh, it's the prayers of other help bring people to the place they're in here. It, was, it wasn't this self-sufficiency. It was somebody doing something for them that helped move them along. It's, it's, it's the freedom of love that, that draws people together. Um, now quickly going over because I want to he meets another soul here um, Guido del Duca page 272 um, he's in the circle of envy too and he says middle of 272 envy was quick to fire at my blood whatever I would see somebody rejoice you'd see me turning livid at his joy oh I sowed this envy now I reaped this straw now hold on to this line oh human race why do you place your hopes where partnership must always be denied? Now he leaves that with Dante, and then um, Dante, see, as he goes on, he sees the checks on 275. As we were walking on our lonely road, there came the lightning ripping through the air. A voice shot out at us from up ahead. I shall be slain by all who find me. Who is that? Who said to God? Cain. Remember, he felt sorry when he went into exile and God actually protected him. I am Aglaros, um, who was turned to stone with that instead of going on, um, I move. So he, he sees a number of um, examples of checks, but here's what I want to go. Going over to 277, as they ascend the steps to the next ledge, the level, the, the angel comes to remove the second P, remember from pride and now from envy. Past him we went already climbing where Beate Misericorde from behind came ringing. Blessed are the merciful. Um, and then Dante says, what did that soul mean? This is on page 277 towards the bottom. Remember when Guido Doduca said what he did about partnership. What did that spirit from Omanya mean who spoke of partnership and denial? Um, Virgil, top of 278. Because you make things of this world your goal, which are diminished as each shares in them, envy pumps hard the bellows for your size. But if your love were for the lofty spheres, your cravings would aspire for the heights, and fear of loss would not oppress your hearts. The more there are up there who speak of ours, the more each one possesses, and the more charity burns intently in that realm. I hunger for more, he says. How can, one's, how can one good that's shared by many souls make all those who possess it wealthier than if it were possessed by just a few? And he, Virgil again, since you insist on limiting your mind to thoughts of worldly things, remember this is like the number example I gave earlier, one, two, three, one is less than two and three. Since you insist on limiting your mind to thoughts of worldly things alone, from the true light you reap only the dark, 
That infinite, ineffable, true God that dwells in heaven speeds instantly to love as light rays to a shining surface wood. Somebody explain what's going on here. Anybody? Guido said, the trouble with you is you... Oh, human race, why do you place your hopes where partnership must always be denied? And then Virgil gives this explanation. There are two things. I want to understand what's going on, and I want to understand why mercy is the answer to envy. Remember, the, the, the beatitude given was, blessed are the merciful. Let's take the first. What's, what, did Guido, what was Guido saying to Dante? And, and can anybody explain Virgil's explanation to Dante? If you, if, let's say you grew up in a family and um, Aunt, Aunt Sally is famous for her pecan pie, or meatballs on Aunt Sally. Aunt Sally is famous for her pecan pie on Thanksgiving. And you know that she only makes one pie. And you suddenly learn that ex-cousin is going to bring their family, so there's going to be four more kids. What's going to be your response to their coming? Right? Because if we keep putting our minds on material goods, the more that enter into them, the less we will have. What will motivate us? Envy. What will we want to happen? We will want those who stand to get something to lose it. When somebody gets something that I want, I take a joy that's spite. And that's well, uh, you share it because it's there. You're happy that it's there. <laughs> We're not talking about that. We're talking about what this is. Is everybody seeing the sin? Yes? And, and Virgil said, if, if you put your mind on godly things, it would be different. Because what, what, what happens when you enter heaven? With each additional soul that, ha that enters heaven, then what happens? Yeah, say it, Chester, say it. Oh, it says the more each one possesses, the more charity burns intensely. Yep, that's what is, what yeah. was that line? That infinite, ineffable, true God that dwells in heaven speeds instantly to love as light rays to a shining service would. With each soul entering heaven, it's like a mirror, it radiates off of everybody. It's, gonna, it's like the multiplication, we're back to that Trinitarian, God is not greater than or less. When you enter heaven and one soul, one soul enters heaven, it infinitely multiplies in everybody else. It will go on multiplying forever. So what Dante's saying, and the church says this, we should be making judgments according to spiritual eternal things, not earthly. Because when we do, what happens to our hearts, our emotions, our minds? Why? How is mercy the opposite of envy and by the way before I see how are the people learning to see here since their eyes why, why are their eyes shut and that's how they got envious because they were like, they saw what they couldn't have right and then they're totally dependent they made bad they made good bad because it is right. what they wanted Right? They they, they, yeah. they saw only bad because they couldn't have it. So instead of seeing good and being thankful or praising it, they made it bad. Right. We we know we know we do that. The the way we will be critical of something, we'll darken something and make it something that's not. 
by our eyes, by what we do with them. So their eyes are shut because they have to learn to see the good better than they did on the world. How are they learning to see? By waiting and listening. They're learning to see with their ears. So at every level, Dante's learning to see that powers of sight grow with each step of penance. Again, okay? Last, I mean to return. Why is mercy the opposite? How does that answer envy? What's the response of an envious person to loss? Good. Joy. They're yeah, glad. They're they don't have it, and I don't have it, so they shouldn't have it. Either. They're glad. Yeah. What's the response of the merciful to loss? Well, you relate to the loss. You you want to help. help. You're sad. Sad, yeah. Right? You're sad at the loss. It's the opposite. Mercy is the opposite of um, envy because it wants to take a joy in other people's goodness and it's sad when people do something. Watch what's happening. I hope everybody... What Dante's learning to do is order his soul, his emotion. We've been talking about this. That the great task for us as Christians is to learn to order our loves. The proud, too proud, too self-sufficient, act like they can do everything themselves. They need to learn humility to, in order to love. The envious, they turned away from the good and made it bad. Turned something good, made it bad. And they took a joy when people lost something. What do they need to learn? Mercy. Um, to be glad for the goodness of other people and feel sad when they lose it. That is, they're learning to order loves, to feel joy when they should, to feel sadness when they should. Um, here are the, we'll just stop here, here are the, 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 um, the goads for the level of envy on page 279. Could you define goads real quick again? Goads are encouragements. Remember, they're, they're examples of the virtue opposite the sin. Okay. So humility's opposite pride. They're seeing examples of the virtue. Okay. Remember, at every level, they're learning to become more virtuous. Okay. The goads are forms of encouragement. You see good examples of it. Something Instead of being proud and dismissing them, you're glad, you're thankful. Okay. On page 279, I was about to say I'm satisfied, but seeing that we had reached the next round, my eager eyes forgot about my tongue, I was caught up in an ecstatic trance. My son, why hast thou dealt with us this way? Who's that? Mary. Mary. Remember Christ was in the temple, she came back and discovered, instead of blowing up at him, which, yeah. she was angry. But it was so, was such a mild, you know, why have you done this to us? Um, Pisistratus gives another so here we're getting the, the goads on the level of anger what Dante is going to encounter on the level of the anger is everybody's um, enclosed in smoke again the contrapasso it's an image of the sin and they have to learn through ecstatic visions because they can't see so once more it's another way of learning to see something and these visions come to them and and then he will meet with um, 
Mark Lombard here. This is going to be, remember, this is the middle of the purgatorial. It's at this point that Mark Lombard is going to try to explain why people are not making more efforts to be virtuous. And when I read it, I, I, I cannot help but think of our age today. But I'll try to make that clear next week when we meet. Okay. Um, I hope it's a good week of penance and hope. Remember I said what Suzanne's response was when we were doing, when I did this in graduate school and I told her she should read it and she picked out of a Reddit and when she got through with the Inferno and started the Purgatory, she said it's so, it's so good to see people moving again and hoping. So I hope you enjoy the rest of Purgatory. We'll spend two more weeks on Purgatory. That's all. So next week and the following week we'll be done with Purgatory and start the Paradiso. Gita, what are you thinking about all this? So <laughs> <laughs>